0: And welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Yippee ki yay, mother! Wait, wait, no, never mind. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll stop there. <laughs> I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly, and tonight we have a very special guest with us, Michael from the RPG Academy. That's me. That's him. Uh, here to talk about his new game and Kickstarter project, Action Twelve Cinema. Michael, welcome to Undercommon Taste.
1: Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes, welcome. I'm excited that the weather has not kept us from (laughs) having this interview again.
1: Yes, that was a little bit uh, wild Friday night. Both of us experienced some weather issues. It never really bothered me. Like, we had some wind, but, like, I never had anything dangerous in my area. Are you all okay?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: We didn't actually have any
0: wind damage at the house, but the power went out at about quarter after two, came back around four, and we're like, oh great, we'll be able to still do the interview tonight. It'll be awesome. And then, literally ten minutes before sound check, <laughs> the power went out again.
2: As will happen. Yeah, no, it, a lot of wind. There was some trees down in the roads around here. Apparently, a horse trailer flipped down one of the highways in the evening. But as for me personally, no big damage or anything. Just kind of a lot of sound and fury. But I mm-hmm. love, I love the windstorms. I love hearing the wind. I love when it rains. So. I was all excited. I was just like,
0: yay. Looks like a little kid. <laughs> all right. So let's go ahead and get started. Michael, if you would please give us a little bit about you, a little bit of an introduction, who you are, what you do, maybe talk a little bit about your podcast, the RPG Academy, okay. and a little bit about uh your project, Action Twelve Cinema.
1: Happy to. So again, my name is Michael. I am the co-host or I don't. We have like so many shows. It's hard to say. I, I do a <laughs> lot of stuff on the RPG Academy podcast. We've been doing the show for about twelve years, somewhere in there. Oh, nice! A uh, lo- long, long time. So, if anything I say tonight connects with you on any level in any way, there's probably a show that we have that you might be interested in. We have shows that are interviews where we interview designers. You know, they're doing Kickstarters, sometimes not. We have shows where we do GM theory, try to help people get better at running the game. We have a bunch of different actual play, some of them long term, some of them one shots of various systems, a whole bunch of stuff. Some of it we stream, some of it's podcast only. We do one every other week where we look at Kickstarters or other crowdfunding platforms and kind of call out some things you might be interested in. So, again, it's just a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, nice. I also run a small gaming convention. So in Dayton, Ohio, each year in November is called a Catacon. It's an objectively terrible name, but I love <laughs> it. So we're going to stick with it. Last year was one of our best years ever. We almost had up around 500 people that attended. Nice. So it's we're very heavily focused in role playing games, which is a little bit unusual for a con our size. You know, we obviously board games too, but we're more role playing the board games. And we also lean very heavily into indie. PG. So we have the big two or three. We got definitely got D&D. We're going to have Pathfinder. But the majority of our events are neither of those. There are Whoa. Cypher System, Savage Worlds, Dread, Fiasco, things that people are working on, a lot of beta tests and stuff going on there. So if you have the misfortune of being in Dayton, Ohio in November, I'm sorry, <laughs> but maybe come find us as a lovely little group of nerds huddled around some gaming tables in November in Dayton, Ohio.
2: That sounds like that'd be a ton of fun to do.
1: It, it, it's so much work. It is <laughs> so much work, but it is a lot of fun. But the thing I'm specifically here to talk about tonight is a game that I've been working on off and on for the last few years. It kind of was born at a catacon called Action 12 Cinema. It is a GMless zero prep game that uses nothing but the D12s, which is the pinnacle of the polyhedral. It is objectively the best die to roll to table. (laughs) It is objectively Uh, the best die. It is. It is the most fun die to roll. I stand by that. I'm the president of heretics. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all about over-the-top action movie stuff. So it leans heavily into action movie tropes. I grew up watching terrible action movies. I still have a fondness yes. of my heart for them. Call the Conqueror, Alan Quartermain movies, Last Starfighter. Like those are the types of movies I grew up watching. And this game is all about telling those types of stories. I love it.
2: I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this because I, I grew up with those same types of movies. Like for me, the best movie had three qualifications. It had to be a B movie. Mm-hmm. Had to have Chuck Heston. Okay. Needed zombies. <laughs> world War Three or end of the world scenario. Therefore, the absolute best B-movie, Omega Man.
1: Nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> have you ever seen I Come in Peace? I have not. Uh, that's a good one. That does not okay. fit into your qualifications, but it's definitely okay. a very bad B-movie. Uh, it's it. one of my personal favorites. It's like an 80s cop action, but he's dealing with an alien. Oh.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the ones that I love for being as bad as it is, is actually a William Shatner movie. It's from... Early in his career, oh, and deep. called White Comanche. Oh, oh, my.
1: I don't think I've even heard of that one. I don't um, think
0: so. I have either. White Comanche is a spaghetti western where William Shatner plays both of a set of identical twins.
1: Okay, I'm i in. You, okay. you, you've already sold me, you sold a ticket. You do not have to sell me anymore.
0: One is a cowboy sort of lawman, and the other one is the war chief of a group of Comanche warriors, and oh. and it actually ends with a showdown between the two brothers. Mm. I am guessing this movie did not age terribly well. It did not. Yeah, it did yeah. Not. no. <laughs> it is it is one of the least PC movies. It is so cringe on the level of how un-PC it is, but it is still an entertaining movie. Fair enough.
1: And I do actually, I touch on that just a little bit in the game book that I grew up watching these movies and I love them and I love them today. But types of movies were not always great at representation yeah. and so while that is just part of things and we're moving in a positive direction when you play the game we don't want to lean into those like you know it's open to anybody we don't want you know otherism yeah. but it is unfortunately something that's very common in those movies so I love them because I grew up with them but I do recognize that some of them if not most of them would be problematic through my eyes today
2: and I am very happy you've included that with your instruction book because even going back looking at like old Looney Tunes or old like John Wayne movies, things like that. Yes, we grew up with these things, but time and culture has definitely moved past a lot of those tropes and scenarios. So yeah, again, very well done keeping a mind open for that.
0: But one of the standard icebreaker questions that we like to ask our guests when they come on is, what is your real life character class? (sighs)
1: See... So in game, it's always a wizard. And the reason I like to play wizards is I love to come up with overly complicated solutions to what are generally easy problems. Okay. Yeah, I I, want to find the most obscure spell (laughs) that's supposed to be in combat, but I use it outside of combat or something along those lines. But if I'm being honest with myself, I'm probably a bard in real life because I have managed, despite all the signs saying it shouldn't be possible, to get a lot of people to kind of buy into the stuff I do. A catacon is easily the best example of that is that it's a completely volunteer situation. No one, including myself, gets paid. It is a lot of work and effort. And yet people keep showing up every year to just help and like, hey, I'll work for you basically for free for the weekend. And they keep doing it, even though I'm like, I don't know why you're here, but thank you. <laughs> so I must have some way to influence people positively. If I could tap into it intentionally, maybe I would be a lot like a despot maybe. Or, but uh, <laughs> right now I just run a mildly successful convention every year. Nice. You might be an
0: accidental warlock.
1: Maybe. I. I, oh. I might, there might be a patron that I don't realize I'm tapping into. And one day that <laughs> bill's going to come due.
2: Yes. Time to pay the piper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So you've already sort of given us the elevator pitch for what mm-hmm. Action 12 Cinema is but I want to tap into one of the descriptors that you use for it it is a gm-less game mm-hmm. and I think this is the first time that we have featured a creator with a gm-less game on our show so if you would please give our listeners a little bit of a rundown of what exactly a GM less game is and how that works, as opposed to a more traditional TTRPG that would have a storyteller or a game master that would be directing the game.
1: Right. And, you know, certain games are going to handle it differently, but there's certainly some overlap and commonality in them. And so I'll speak specifically to mine, so in case I'm wrong All about right. someone else's. But basically, I've heard tell that other people call these GM full rather than GM less. And essentially, it means that the responsibilities for the GM is spread out amongst everyone that plays. So you don't have one person that has to be the GM, has to either prep a scenario or plan or sort of improv and respond to what everyone else is doing. So in my game, take turns being the active player, when you're the active player, you're acting a lot like the GM. You're making decisions about where you are, what else is going on, who else might be in the scene with you, what kind of opposition that you're imposed by. Mine's a little bit weird because of the way it's also GM-less and zero prep is that you can just describe whatever you want to have happen happened. The dice don't determine if what you wanted to have happened happened. It determines if what you said happened helped. So like if you're fighting a bunch of ninja, you can just describe yourself fighting ninja and taking them out and flipping this one over a cliff and using throwing stars at this one and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, I've killed all the ninja. They're all dead. Great. That absolutely happened. But now you roll the dice and maybe there were just more ninja or maybe now they're zombie ninjas. They get back up. So (laughs) the dice will determine if you're actually closer to getting past that obstacle but you have full control over what's happening. So not all GMless games work that way, but essentially it's just the shared responsibility. When I'm in this role I serve as the GM. When I'm done with my turn I pass it along and then Jeff would be the GM and you would run the next section and then it would go to Ian and they would run the next section, that kind of thing. Mine's also zero prep where you don't have to have any idea coming into the game of what's going to happen. The game helps you figure that out in the first part of the game. You roll on a bunch of D12 charts and it kind of gives you the general plot to your movie, who the bad guy is, what the obstacles are, all that kind of good stuff. But essentially, yeah, you're just taking turns being the GM or GM type of person, but it rotates around so that you don't have that weight of responsibility of, well, I have to prep the game or I have to build encounters or whatever the case may be. We remove that in my version of it. I hope I answered that well.
2: Yeah. No, you covered that great. And I was thinking when I was reading your Kickstarter and going through this, what this kind of reminded me of is the uh, old school writing prompt where you'd have a group of students together and everyone has to write a paragraph. So the first person writes a paragraph about whatever, and then they pass the story along. Mm-hmm. And the next person writes their paragraph to kind of butt up against that. And this game has that feel to it. So it can be extremely creative. It can be very wild. It can be very contained. It just depends on who gets the page next. And I think this has so much potential for a lot of fun.
1: Actually, I've never heard that. I remember in school, one of my favorite things we did was they would give you a sheet of paper that just had some sort of like half of an object, like a J hook or a squiggly line or whatever. And they would say, you know, you draw something using that as a basis. I still to this day, I mean, I'm well into my forties. That was probably 35 years ago. I still remember doing that in school because I loved it so much. But I don't remember the writing version of that, but that is a great touch point for what we do. Because when I'm in control, if I'm the first active player, I have a lot of control of setting what things mean. Like we might roll that we're in a fight. So one of the common obstacles in my game is fight because it's an action movie. You're going to have all kinds of fights. Yeah. But whoever goes first in Act 1 kind of get to determine a lot of the specifics. Like, where are you during this fight? Is it one big thing or is it a whole bunch of little things? Are they mechanized ninja? Are they zombie ninja? Whatever. But once it's created, it has to stay true. It's like an improv game. You don't override someone else's input unless you're doing it on purpose because it is also a bad movie so sometimes things happen just because, <laughs> like, you, know, you can lean into the joke oh, we ran out of money so that's why there were seven zombies but now there's two or it's just the same guy in three different scenes type of a thing.
2: That's something more like a Monty
1: Python film at that point. <laughs> yes. And gm games do usually lean more silly because you kind of have that opportunity to build off of someone else and it tends to lead into exaggeration. And again, we just lean into that. If something doesn't make sense, it's intentional because it's a bad movie. But yeah, I do love that idea that it's just like, okay, I've created so much and now I pass it to you and you get to build off of what I've created and then it comes back around a couple of times. And yeah, it definitely leans into the absurd there's probably a version out there of like a really dramatic, serious gm game. I have yet to encounter one, and mine is certainly not that.
2: I can totally see like a Rick and Morty scenario. <laughs> yeah, very, very much.
0: <laughs> and that's something that we see a lot because you don't typically associate improv with drama. Right. You hear improv, the first word that your brain wants to put after it is comedy. Because it is a sort of comedic, farcical thing. You know, Mm -hmm. to just sort of string things along stream of consciousness, you know, it's not really something that lends itself well to serious conversation.
1: I'm curious. I would love just like a dramatic show. Like, you know, I'd love to go to a dramatic improv show just to see how it would work. Probably not very well, but I'd like to experience that because it could be interesting.
2: Okay. I have the perfect guest for that, though. That needs to be Sir Ian McClellan. Okay. Patrick Stewart. (laughs) Tim Curry. And then, whoever else you want to fill, but with those three, you'd have the perfect cast.
1: Kermit the Frog. That, that would be my yeah, fourth. Yeah, there yeah. we
2: go. And Kermit the Frog, yeah. perfect.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, one thing I do want to call out that I have found, like I didn't engineer it that way, but I've realized it through the process of developing a GMless game that GMless games are very good at teaching people how to be GMs for other games. So if you're someone who is a player who's thinking about like I kind of want to DM, but I'm not sure if I'm qualified, which that's dumb. Yes, you are, do it. Uh, (laughs) even if it's terrible, it'll get better. But if you're like, I don't know if I could do X or Y, or you play with someone who's really good at doing X or Y, and you're like, I compared to them, I'm not great, play some GMless games because you only have a little bit of sliver of control. You really can't screw it up so bad that the next person can't fix it. If if you can, you're exceptional. You should lean into that because sometimes (laughs) it's amazing. But it's a great way to just like, I'm gonna GM for five minutes out of this 30-minute game not 30 minutes out of it and it lets you stretch your legs it lets you kind of play around and you will be better at running traditional games if you play some gmos games
2: awesome yeah no and that makes a lot of sense again it's that learning by doing and it does give you a very safe area to kind of stretch your wings out no i love that
0: and i will repeat what i have said here before is that sucking at a thing is the first step to getting kind of good at a thing yes Mm -hmm. Because if Absolutely. you suck at it, you at least did it, which means that you're closer to being good at it than someone who has never tried it. Yep. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I've said that uh, many times, slightly differently. but I say your first game won't be your best game, but you can't get to your best game until you've gotten past your first game.
0: Absolutely. So Absolutely true.
1: You'll be better than you think. Like you'll think it's a disaster, but it'll actually be better than that. But you will get better over time. So start now and you'll get better faster. Yes.
0: Yeah. All right, so... Why did you decide to use D12s for your game? And is it because it is the
1: objectively superior die? So it it is the objectively (laughs) superior die, but you have those in reverse order. I created a game to make you roll D12s. Literally the start of this game, it used to have a name. It was called Michael's Ridiculously and Needlessly Overly Complicated Rules Light RPG. (laughs) Mr. <laughs> Miskal And it basically, it was just like a joke of like, I'm going to make a game where people roll on 10, 15 D12s at a time because I truly love the D12. Not enough games use them. And it truly was just like a joke. It was just like, this is silly, but it'll be fun. I'll run my own convention. I'll run a couple of sessions. It'll be great. Did that. And it was actually a lot of fun because I didn't tell everyone that this was just a joke. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm working on my own game. And it was like a sarcastic sort of thing. Like over time, people could figure out that like, again, it was overly complicated, but it was supposed to be rules light. And, it, you know, people Started getting the joke. Time and time again, after we ran the game, people would go, you know, that was actually a lot of fun. It was actually a lot of fun. Rolling <laughs> D12s and playing improv with your friends is a good time. Yeah. So I started cutting back on all the ridiculously and needlessly overcomplicated parts and left in the D12s and the improv with your friends. And it just got more and more streamlined. It actually did become a rules light game. And then finally, sort of the missing piece of the puzzle was the movie aspect. Just, I love action movies. I've grown up with them my whole life, but originally it wasn't an action movie simulation later it was actually like a space like a star trek it was almost more like a tv show rather than movie we did things like act breaks and commercial breaks and sometimes it'd be joke like what's the commercial you know is it a reverse (laughs) mortgage commercial here type of a thing and then it was when the action movie thing hit it's like oh okay now it's everything so it started with a way to get you to roll d12s and it became a game later
2: they're my dice, and I want them now. Yes, JG Wentworth. Eight seven seven dice now. <Yes. laughs>
0: the general says d twelve. I was literally about to quote a JG Wentworth ad, so yeah, I'm glad we're sharing a brain cell right now. It's, it's wonderful. Um, you have on your Kickstarter page a link to an actual play play test of your game. Mm-hmm. I think is it Rook and Rasp that did yeah, that Brook
1: and rest you yeah, know that's a streaming game and then there's a podcast only like an audio only one i did with tabletop journeys okay there's now one that i did on my channel that would be out i don't think it's linked in the kickstarter and i'm supposed to do another one next week with the cantrip cast but we're still solidifying that so i don't think that's been announced so uh, exclusive for your audience uh, <laughs> right. but if it doesn't happen don't blame me there's a lot of moving pieces <laughs> apart to that yeah <laughs> And we've had the
0: guys from Tabletop Journeys over here. They're great folks. So go check that one out too. Yeah, absolutely. So how long would you say on average it takes to run a game of Action 12 Cinema from beginning to end through all three acts?
1: I would say, you know, again, like most RPGs I say like four hours is a pretty good block for that but I would say that this actually probably would be closer to five if you're learning as you go every time I've played the game I'm teaching as I go so I'm always like saying well you can do this now or you could do this or when someone does I'm like oh that's really interesting so let me explain how that works with the rules if you know what you're doing I think you could easily play the game in three hours three and a half probably on the far side but when you're learning the game it definitely takes longer
0: and that's something that, you know, we run into a whole lot with any yeah. game, really. You know, it, it always takes longer that first time.
1: The explanation. So it happens in two main phases. There's what I call the pre-production phase. That's where you roll on the charts and you figure out your genre and your bad person and the plot and the obstacles and you create your characters. And you know, basically you do all the setup in There's the second half, which is where you actually play the game in loosely a three-act structure. And on most of the streams I've done, or the playtests, I should say, it takes about an hour to an hour and a half to do the pre-production phase it takes about the same amount of time hour to hour and a half two hours to play the game so you're looking at like three and a half to five hours I had one group who did the playtest without me uh, one of them had played before he played in one of the, my playtests at Catacon. he really liked the game I sent him an early copy of the rules and he ran a session with his home group which I was actually very excited about because it was the first time anyone had ever played the game when I wasn't physically there to direct it and he said they took seven hours oh wow, <laughs> just to do the pre-production phase wow Wow. They really, really got into it, and they had a lot of fun working out their characters and their relationships. So they had a blast, just that. And then they came back the next day and actually played the game. So they're like 12 hours into one session, and I'm like, that sounds terrible. They loved it. They absolutely <laughs> yeah. loved it. So I would say three and a half on the very, very small short side and 12 hours on the top side. But the okay. average will say four and a half to five. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, I
0: mean, to each their own, right? You know. Yeah, they they
1: they had fun. I mean, if you're having fun, keep
2: going with it. Yeah, that's the important part. You're
0: doing it right, absolutely. But I would have been pulling the hair. Not them to the
2: table. No, you have to sit here for 20 more minutes. You know, it's, <laughs> yes. it's not that.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So, as I understand it, from watching a couple of the actual plays, Action 12 Cinema is based very heavily in B movie tropes. Like, everything is based on a groundwork of a bunch of tropes that you pick from to assemble the game as a whole.
1: Sort of. Okay. So the tropes specifically, there's a mechanic in the game for tropes. We encourage you to use them all the time. Just the common (laughs) stuff that, you know, you never reload your weapon, you don't look at explosions, you know, that kind of good stuff. But during the game, you have the chance to select from some charts that you roll on the specific ones that you can use for mechanical benefit. Okay. And so... That's the way like if you can't quite get to a maximum dipole, which is normally five D12s, uh, just narratively or whatever the situation is, you can't quite get to five. That's an easy way to get another free die or two is just working some of the tropes. But the pre-production phase, so you roll for your genre. So you can just pick, all, you know, all the charts are always inspirational. They're never restrictive. So you can just choose to play a space Western or sci-fi or <laughs> fantasy or adventure, whatever the case may be. And then you roll for your BBEG, your big bad evil person, right? But all of those, and then you roll for your plot, like what they're trying to do or what's going on. And then you roll for your obstacles because all the challenges are abstracted from obstacles. But if you just read through the charts, it's very clear that I've just watched way too many movies. And I've (laughs) kind of broken it down into these sort of like general things. Like one of the challenges is something must be found very common in movies. We got to find the person and we got to find the thing. Chase is one. Quicksand is one. Because, you know, how many movies have quicksand, right? So the tropes are a small part of it, but the entire game, especially if you can like read where I filed the serial numbers off of things, is very clear where the inspiration came from. You know, it's like the moon crashes into the earth is one of the plots. You know, flood the world by melting the glaciers. That's one. Aliens from the future is one of them. That type of thing. So it's like, okay, I see where this is coming from. So it definitely leans heavily into being movie action commonalities but then tropes is specifically different I may be being pedantic about trying to break that into two but you're not wrong but there is a specific delineation in the game of the two no I I can understand that
2: no I love that though after hearing this I kind of want to see you say you run a con so this gives you a ton of time to do it but I would love to see someone like run this game and then on top of it run Like a uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 Mm. panel on top of like the game in the background would be a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you could, like, you could take one of the streams like Rook and Rasp and you could do that if you edit out all the talk and explanation and just had people doing the movie. So it would be possible, but that'd be a lot of fun. (laughs) It would be a lot of work though. But yeah, maybe I'll make that a stretch goal. If I hit (laughs) $50,000, all
0: right. Yeah. So what were some of the interesting combinations of tropes that were selected for mechanical advantage that showed up during
1: your playtests?
0: Were there any combinations that really linger that stick out?
1: Because, you know, you were kind enough to send me some of the questions ahead of time. So I've been looking, trying to remember. One, of my brain is just mush. If you've ever run a Kickstarter before, like it's the only thing on your mind. <laughs> right. So about the only thing I can remember is the game I just played recently. And one of them is a nitrous boost. So think Fast and the Furious. But anytime you're on any sort of vehicle, if you can cause it to go really fast, the normal, it's, it's a nitrous boost. And in that game, we were in an enchanted magical land that we got there through Manhattan and we were riding on the back of dragonflies So we were chasing sky pirates. They We jumped on their dragonflies and we fighting. And <laughs> one of us had a gun that we brought in from our world and they shot it, but it scared the dragonfly. So it actually flew faster. Oh, so man. we had a window jump. So you jumped out of a window onto a dragonfly and then they shot <laughs> their gun, but then that caused the dragonfly to fly really fast. And then on my turn, I did the kitchen chase, which is is... one of my all-time favorite tropes. It's where an action movie scene goes through a working kitchen. So you have people who are actively like trying to cook and plate and do dishes and you're just (laughs) running through the middle of it. So I kind of did that as a, bit it was a dinner party. So this person was kept turning around trying to like set the plates and I would drop through with my dragonfly and wreck the place. But it was play like comedy because they never saw me. They just kept turning around and it was a disaster every time. (laughs) So those are like the three that we kind of used recently that stuck out in my mind.
0: Oh, that sounds
2: incredibly fun.
0: Excellent, yeah that does sound very entertaining. Yes it does.
1: <laughs> it makes me laugh and most <laughs> yeah. of the things I do as long as I'm having a good time I don't really worry about it. Yeah, yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> well, James, I've been asking all the questions. I would to sit here and let yeah. you
2: <laughs> I've just been kind of jumping in. No, I love <laughs> this concept. I love working these. I like how you brought up how, you know, improv and so even if you're not doing this as a game for like a table or a gaming group, but if you're an instructor or a club coach or something like that for your drama clubs, for your improv clubs. I think this could really be utilized because it's not going to be the same thing that your students or your club members are going to see all the time. So it'll make them stretch themselves a bit, which Mm. again, I am a huge fan of trying to present something just a little off center or a little different for people. So it's not what they see every day. And this is that just beautifully wrapped up. I love it.
1: The random charts. I mean, there's a lot of you know, if you played it a thousand times, you might start to get some repetition, but for the most part, there's enough variance and you always have the ability to mix and match right. when, for example, like uh, I mentioned quicksand. So quicksand is one of the obstacles that you can face in the game, but you still have the ability to kind of interpret it based off of what's happening. So if you go and listen to that game I did with Tabletop Journeys, which is a fabulous example of the game, like I think it really does, like that's what the game's going to be like at your table. So we had decided that shrinking was part of the plot. Again, we rolled it. Okay. Okay. So instead of it being quicksand, where we're literally in half mud, half water, and we're sinking, we interpreted quicksand as the building was being shrank while we were still inside of it, and we had to get out before it okay. shrank all the way. So that's how all the obstacles are very sort of like generically broad, so that your version of quicksand in this movie with these, all these other selections might be literal quicksand, or it could be you're trying to get up a shrinking building. And that's by design. Like, they're all very broadly interpretable if that's a word, so that each time it can be different. And one of the play tests decided it was going to be like an 80s forward action movie. But when we rolled our bad guy, we rolled wizard. So we decided, okay, well, it's going to be like an 80s tech company called Wizard Corp. And the CEO is just called the wizard. Okay, no, that's perfect. So you can always make it work, even if it doesn't quite. So you can always just ignore the results or you can find a way to make it make sense as much as it needs to for a bad action movie.
2: What is this, a castle for ants? No, I love it.
1: (laughs) And that is the reason
0: why the little program that runs to install your software is called a wizard. Yes. Uh (laughs) Exactly. Well done. Well played. Yes. Yes. It looks like you're writing a letter. (laughs) (laughs) Clippy is evil. All right. Well. I think we really blew through all those questions I
1: sorry I can talk more (laughs) I really like talking no
0: no that's great I love it it is just I
2: am so excited about this and I know I've seen your Kickstarter and I know you guys are like right on the edge of that goal so I I just
1: yeah I just looked at it we're less than $300 away right now
2: yeah so I mean that's what like another 20 25 supporters and you've still got more than two weeks to go so this isn't Mm. like one of those Kickstarters where it's like a shot in the wind this one really looks like it's going to come through so definitely back this one I'll probably be backing this one personally this week just because it sounds honestly like a ton of fun but yeah i mean just so once your kickstarter ends how long do you think it's going to take estimate for production and all that to actually present and get out
1: so i have someone helping me because that was the part i ran multiple kickstarters for a catacomb we run one every year so i'm pretty comfortable with running that but this is the first time i've ever written and produced a book so i was kind of worried about that. Again, I just want, I've heard horror stories that, you know, someone has a very successful Kickstarter and then they go bankrupt because they didn't do their stuff right, right? right. So I've got someone helping me with that side of it. I've estimated a year for delivery of physical, but I don't think it's going to take anywhere near that long. I just, again, I want to be Scotty from Star Trek. I wanted to under-promise, over-deliver. So basically, once the Kickstarter's over, within about two weeks, I'm going to send the PDF to everybody in the current state. And it doesn't have any art. It's kind of plain looking. But you're going to get the rules, even if I don't do anything else. Everyone's going to get a digital copy of it within about two weeks. But there's some things that I've added that aren't in the current copy. Like, the game with Tabletop Journeys led to a new mechanic, the needle drop. So if you start singing songs, you can get bonuses and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Ooh, nice. So I'm still going to like, it won't even be in the body. Just like at the end, it'll be like, this is a new mechanic I've written. This is a new rule I've written. But Everyone's going to get that within like two weeks. Oh, perfect. That's great. I'm still incorporating art. Again, this is another exclusive. Since we're getting really close to funding, we're going to start announcing stretch goals. My first stretch goal is for more art. I absolutely love the art. I think it's fantastic. The two artists I'm working with right now, I love them to death. I love what they're doing. And I actually want to go back and pay them more for what they've already done and then commission some additional art. So our first stretch goal is going to be increased art budget. And when you add art, though, you have to do layout again. So I'm going to give myself two months to go through the book one more time, rewrite a few sections, add in those things that I've changed and the new rules. And then it's going to go to art and layout. I'm actually hoping that within like six months, it'll be ready to go. But then I don't know what the timeline from the publisher will be. We're using a US-based publisher. Yeah, publisher, I think it's the right word, whatever, producer, whatever. So we're not having it done in China, which adds like six weeks of transport time. I also don't know what their timetable is. Like if I give them the book on Tuesday, they may not be able to print it till months like i don't know yeah. their schedule so we gave us i gave ourselves a year hoping it's gonna be closer to six months
2: that's not terrible at all i mean that's actually fairly quick and so i mean
1: that's the thing like it's part of the kickstarter i want to rewrite one more time because i've never written a book before and i know it can be improved and me just teaching the game so many times now like i want to rewrite the book a little bit to use some of the same examples i've kind of stumbled upon that seem to work but the game is playable right now i can give you the rules you could run it yourself could be pretty fied a little bit so it's not have to finish the book i just have to touch it up a little bit
2: I mean, Thanksgiving dinner, you could be set Sit there. Hey, let's bust this out. Have everyone on the table and just start throwing dice. <laughs> well, my
1: convention's in November. So part of me is kind of hoping I'll have copies oh, there. Yeah. So lovely, that, you know, yeah. Yeah. People who miss the Kickstarter, I've you know, maybe they can buy one for me.
2: Awesome. So going through, you talked about these action movies you grew up. What are your favorite tropes within these action movies and stuff? What was the one that always like, if it was in there, it didn't matter. You're going to sit down and watch it because it just sang to you.
1: So some of my favorites, again, I mentioned the Kitchen Chase. That's a classic. It's happening a lot. I think there's several Jackie Chan movies that have used a version of that. Bullet catch. So I grew up watching a movie called The Last Dragon. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Bruce Leroy catches bullets with his teeth against (laughs) Shogun. So he literally catches a bullet with his teeth. Hallway fight. This is not a B movie, but the Daredevil hallway fight is just like the best example of that ever. Shoot the rope. From the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie where you have to shoot the arrow and to save them from being hung, shooting something so it explodes. This goes from Deadpool when he shot the hand grenade on the bridge fight all the way back to Blazing Saddles when (laughs) the Waco kid had to shoot the dynamite from the ridge so that the fake rock ridge was up with all of the men inside. (laughs) So shooting things so they explode is always a classic. Awesome. So what are some of your favorite B-movies
0: in general? I know you you listed a couple, but... Big Trouble in Little China is
1: absolutely one of the best movies. Yeah, And some of those, they borderline not into B-movies. Like, they're just good movies. But I do love Big Trouble in Little China and The Thing, two of my favorite movies. And they've definitely inspired my GMing style. Tremors, which I think is a perfect movie, but it's still kind of a B-movie. The Last Starfighter. Absolutely. uh, Call the Conqueror. The Alan Quartermain movies, which, again, they're basically bad Indiana Jones. I think that Alan Quartermain is probably an older character, just not done as well. There's a lot of monster movies. Like, I love the bad Godzilla movies, like where he fights the big lobster dude. I can't remember the name of that one. (laughs) When he has the son, Gadzuki or her has the son, Gatsuki, because I think Godzilla is canonically a a woman. The Fast and the Furious movies. Like, I know they're big-budget blockbusters, but they're B-movies at best, so they don't make any (laughs) damn sense. But they're absolutely fun to watch, like... I used to not like them. I really like, I'm like, these are dumb. One day I went in and watched, I think it was the fifth one. I'm like, this is a D&D campaign. <laughs> it's in modern, so it's D20 modern, but it's, they're doing absolutely the same stuff that I would do in a D&D campaign. And it's like, oh, I get it now. And now I love them because they don't make any sense. Just think I of they're like a D&D, they're doing the stuff that you would do in an RPG. hundred percent, I love like,
2: I've heard things that apparently Vin Diesel is like a huge TTI fan. Yeah, yeah, he's fan, a gamer. So yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's in, it might be the fifth one There's. I think, yeah, I think it's the fifth one where have someone in a car And they're being chased and they're trying to evade capture. So they're going to move the person that they're traveling with to a different car without watching know and the way they orchestrate this is they have two cars that are going right at each other and they go under an underpass and while they're under the underpass they start doing donuts around each other and then they transfer the person from the inside window to the other inside window because even though they're doing donuts windows are only like a foot apart so this all happens in like 10 seconds and then they keep going the direction they were originally traveling so from the helicopter Looks like nothing happened. I'm like, <laughs> I can see my characters doing that in with yeah. like a carriage, you yeah. know, basically doing donuts in a carriage underneath the bridge. <laughs> so once you realize that's what this is, is role playing games, it makes a lot of sense. So I do that's actually awesome. enjoy those from that level. I'm trying to think Ice Pirates, Time Pirates, Buckaroo Banzai, and, you know, going through the eighth dimension. There's so many of them, but those are probably the ones that are coming to mind right now. Okay. Actually, I have a list of inspirational movies in the book, if you want to indulge me. I mean, I can answer some other questions, but oh. I will actually pull up because I listed roll it on a chart to see what genre oh, yeah. you're going to play. So I have Did like...
2: Starship Troopers make the list.
1: No, but it probably should be on there somewhere. Cause
2: that is absolutely a B movie. I, I love that movie. Absolutely a B movie. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so I won't go through all these, but I have them broken down by genre. So under okay. Action Adventure, Big Trouble in Little China, Alan Quatermain, and then even Romancing the Stone, which I love that oh, yeah. movie. Oh, I've
2: seen that one forever.
1: So Creature Feature, we got Humanoids from the Deep, Them, and then all the Piranha movies, Action Disaster, Armageddon, The Core you want to see core. a sci-fi, the Earth's oh, core. Stop rotating. That one. I forgot about that one. Oh. Beastmaster, Master of the Universe, Labyrinth, The Thing, Fright Night, Bloodsport, Flash Universal Gordon. Soldier. I, oh, definitely Flash Gordon. If it's not on there, it should be. <laughs> I love that one. Robinson Crusoe on Mars. The Shadow, the Phantom, Firestarter, The Quick and the Dead is like under oh. Western. So, so yeah, there's a whole list for every genre. I have two or three movies that, like, if you're not sure what this is, this is the touch point for the type of movie that you'll be playing through. John
2: Carpenter. Yeah. 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 That, that's that needs to be <laughs> up on
0: it too.
2: <laughs> you mean John Carter? Yeah. John Carter. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. John Carpenter was the director of The Thing. Yeah. Yeah. The Thing, but Halloween. Yeah, and
1: uh, Yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Um, The one that I really enjoy is Dead Snow. Are you familiar with that one? It was a Swedish film that involved a bunch of college kids going and getting a cabin out in the woods and having to fight off Nazi zombies
1: coming after the Jew gold that they hid in the cabin. Okay, So it's so funny (laughs) that you mentioned this because I listen to a podcast. They talk about movies and just the last three weeks they've done a best zombie movie draft And they actually brought up that movie, and they didn't. They said they're like, we know no one's going to vote for this one, but they talked about it. So it's like when you said the name, it was like, why have I heard? Yeah, they just yeah. talked about this on the show, um, Trial by Content. Yeah, they talked was, about that. A lot. There
0: was one that just became this instant cult classic, and so they made a sequel to it. I can't remember. I think it was Dead Snow Two: Red versus Dead, where they end up bringing in a bunch of Soviet communist zombies to fight the Nazi <laughs> zombies. As you do. As you (laughs) do. Of course. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So yeah, it was great. And the second one, they realized what they had, and so they played up the schlock. Like, Mm -hmm. they turned that dial all the way up to 11 and snapped it right off.
2: See, that sounds a lot like what they did for uh, Evil Dead 2 and then Army of Darkness. that, Which are yeah, They they
0: definitely gave it the Army of Darkness treatment. Nice. Because the first one was obviously trying to be a serious movie. Mm -hmm. And it does come across as a serious attempt at a movie, which I really appreciate in a B-budget movie. I have a very low tolerance for cringe in my B-movies. So it's, I don't like the B-movies like Sharknado that were designed to be bad. You know, I want it to be a genuine attempt at a decent movie that just falls short
1: It falls short <laughs> i think the bar is i think it's easier to clear if you're trying to do something and you just don't succeed this is where you're trying to be schlocky i think it's harder to do a intentionally schlocky movie well than it is to do a try to do a good movie that doesn't quite get there but it still becomes like you know of a cult classic type of thing yeah. i'm struggling yeah, yeah. to think of a good example but yeah, uh, i Our, agree like my movie. tolerance is going to be lower for someone who's just ailing like i'm gonna I'm feel for them versus someone's like yeah. hey wink wink nudge nudge we know what we're doing like yeah you gotta press me there
2: i think the first scary movie kind of does that you know they were intentionally trying to mock b movies and things like and the first one they pull it off fairly well and then by the time you get to like scary movie 43 or whatever they had you know (laughs) it kind of went to the well too many times yeah
1: so i will announce that someone just backed because of course i'm watching it so we're now less than 250 dollars away excellent actually we're $253. I'm bad at math, but that's still it's like 10, 15 people depending on which level they back. We could be there any moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think I am done with the questions on my end. James, do you have any more? No, I think I'm good on my side. All right. Well, then one of the things that we love to do with our guests when they come on is play a little game that we call the monster mashup where we roll some dice on a random monster mashup table and create a monster on the fly. So, Michael, if you are ready and willing, we will go ahead and get that started. Absolutely. Happy to do it. So okay. let's go ahead and get a D4 roll, if you would, please. Got for it. For locomotion. All right.
1: I got a four.
0: A four. It swims. Ooh, okay. Now again,
2: too, we can play fast and loose, much like you do with like your quicksand rules and things like that. Okay, swimming can be very nebulous. I think we had some things that swam through like the EM spectrum, or some that that
0: swam through mm. the area. Again, it's we do have some wiggle room with this. Yeah, we okay. had one that swam through the earth. Yeah, once. Yep. So that is something that is up for interpretation. Love it. Next is a d6 roll for what does it eat? Potatoes.
1: Oh. I will tell you that I use double D sixes because I don't like six-siders. So it's a 12 side, <laughs> but it just goes to six Fine. twice. And I got a four. So I'm, four. I'm rocking the forest tonight. Yeah. All right.
0: It eats fruits slash vegetables.
2: Okay. Okay. So I'm saying something like eating from the kelp forest, maybe some sea cucumbers. Possibly. Maybe something like in a coral reef, perhaps, keeping with the ocean theme. Mm-hmm. Again, possibly something along like the lines, if you want to do like stream or fresh water.
0: Well, this next one is going to inform this greatly. Another D6, please, for size. Size. One. One. It is tiny. Tiny.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we are not doing botflies, James. Oh, fine. We already Discussive. did one that was basically bot botfly. <laughs> the one with Sam? Yeah, I mean, kind of. Just botflies always come up.
1: <laughs> yeah, they... What's that parasite thing that swims up? And then we had one of those in too, eithra. the vampire fish. Yeah. We had
0: one of those. It was terrifying. We have had one of those too. And it, was, <laughs> and it was tiny as well.
1: Oh, wait,
2: the necrophage. Yeah. Yes. I think I promised after the last one I would try to make a happy thing. So, okay, no <laughs> bot on this one. Maybe seahorses or sea monkeys. Sea monkeys, we yeah. We yeah. can do that.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Next is going to be a D8 for D8? social organization. Six. Six gang 11 to 25 individuals okay. okay so maybe something like some water pixies
2: or some water nymphs you know potentially I'm trying to think happy thoughts here happy thoughts happy thoughts
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> now what sort of gang sort of critter could we throw into a bad b movie let me see something that would feed on fruit or veggies Feed but, on I mean, plant matter
1: I'm kind of like leaning into sort of like a plankton situation where they're not the concern. It's what eats them is the concern. Okay. So these things come up on shore. We're like, oh, look, these little tiny like minnow looking things. And then the thing "Ah," comes out after them and happens to get us as well. Okay, So they're
2: kind of like a herald or just like they're a bad omen. Okay. Yes.
1: So if you see them, you need to run.
0: Okay. No, I like it. All right. This next one is going to also inform a great deal a d10 roll, please, for native environment. Three. Three. Can you give me one more roll for even or odd?
1: Yes. Even. Even.
0: Freshwater coastal. Okay. This
2: works. This does work. I like it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we have uh, sort of a. They're dumb buddies. Prehistoric <laughs> creature, like in a lock. Yeah. Sort of a thing. Which, I mean, we don't necessarily have, because I'm almost like cheating because I'm taking away the thing and trying to do the other thing. Maybe it's something that gains sentience. Like it's like a swarm hive okay. and they naturally fall into these smaller groups. But if something were to happen, like a queen shows up and draws a bigger swarm, their they're intelligence sort of I'm, like...
2: I'm going to go ahead and reference a movie here, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Ooh, okay. That's a good one. Yeah. Or even, was it Swamp Creature? Swamp Swamp Thing? The DC comic? Yeah, well, Swamp Thing.
1: Yeah, Swamp Thing. There's also yeah. humanoids from the deep. yeah which is a rip off of a creature of molecular.
2: So you don't know that this is, this is still working fairly good so far. So maybe these things are like his pets. And, and if you mess with them, then he's going to come and.
1: Well, there's a series of books called the um, sort of truth, a uh, Terry yes. Goodkind. Yes. And there are those gar that use flies, like a detection system. So these flies swarm around the garbit, they go and bite things. They're like a really stinging little bite. And when the thing gets stings like yips and runs away, the gar attacks it. So maybe it's something like that. It's like a yeah. some okay. parasitic okay. re- sort of thing that these creatures, you know, they go around, but they're just a nuisance to other living creatures. So it causes them to swim away or whatever. And then the, this thing attacks them. Okay. No, I like that. Yeah. The first four of those books are really good. The last 15 are terrible. And I know I've read them all. <laughs> I stopped reading about... Good
2: for eight you. or nine. Cause like, yep. yeah, he starts going some weird directions. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was but those first four yeah. really good. Do not finish. Don't, you don't need to repass
0: that to stop. <laughs> that was one of those series that I just never got around to starting yeah, Like I said, yeah. I have like the first two or three books and I just never got around to starting them.
2: I really um, enjoyed Wizards first rule. And like yeah. I said, then he kind of went some weird directions and
1: eh. I agree. So I would not encourage you to read them now, but I, the first few are, are very enjoyable, but man, they get so kind of, honestly, bad. They just get bad later on, but he's also got some weird politics. I don't agree with. So,
2: yeah, I mean, he started going full Ayn Rand on some things.
1: It was, basically. Yeah. Yes. He, he's yeah. full Ayn Rand at this point. <laughs> Hooray. Yay.
0: So just because a lot of B movies try to pull in some sort of ecological, environmental aspect, often very ham-handedly, mm-hmm. I could definitely see this being something that comes out of a very polluted river. Um, okay, yeah, especially, yep. you know, talking about the river in Cincinnati or one of the other rivers in New England that became so polluted that it actually caught fire.
1: Fire. Yeah, I used to live in Cleveland. That was a big thing. The oh, Cleveland, not
0: Cincinnati. Yep. Cleveland.
1: Yeah, yep. Cleveland. Yep.
2: I mean, even going, you know, modern with recent, but that Norfolk uh, train wreck. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Ohio, you know, the waters through there are getting fairly well fouled up. I can talk today. I promise. <laughs>
0: It's late. Yeah. It yeah. is. It is. All right. Time to break out the D12. Yay, my favorite. Da, da, da. All right. So this first one is for method of defense. Six. Giant buddy. Six. It has horns. Well, okay. Okay.
2: And again, this kind of goes as maybe it stings something or something along those lines and provokes some sort of reaction. So yeah.
1: It could also just be that common thing where like if a predator bites it, it hurts. Yeah. So it's those like ridge plate sort of thing that oh, is yeah, just be defenses well, it, it,
0: because bite and venomous bite are actually on this list as separate items i'm thinking something more like a rhinoceros beetle kind yeah, of yeah what you think if
2: something bites it it the horns prevent it from being bitten
0: right okay yeah so Kinda like the, uh, spines yeah yeah okay yeah I can, and again, I can, given the size
2: that makes a lot of sense
0: yeah it's just a prickly little thing yes <laughs> mm yeah (laughs) like a sea anemone yeah okay kind of that sort of spiny pokey sort of deal gotcha okay i can get with that all right another d12 roll and this could really screw things up for creature type three three it is celestial hmm it's a sea star yes (laughs) okay 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 yeah, that could work. I mean, it is yeah. as in it literally fell from the sky. Yeah, like all Cloverfield sort of. Yeah. Okay.
1: okay. Yeah, well, I can. So is it is it just visiting here? Is it stuck here? Is it adapting and overcoming? Like it's going to take over here? It's an I invasive could say species.
2: Visiting, it could be summoned. And again, if we were going with some sort of ecological disaster, maybe this is
0: some sort of divine response to the disaster. Mm, Or, playing into B-movie tropes, this is a biological terraforming creature dropped on the planet by an alien race. Okay, Mm -hmm. now we got Prometheus. I like it. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, we can work with this. Oh, yes. Okay, next is a d20 roll for quirks. 16. 16. This works. Parasitic slash invasive. Okay,
2: I've got it. So, we talked about the spines. The spines are made from salt crystals. They drop these things into large ocean worlds to desalinate to create fresh water later on. Mm, Okay. And they are invasive because they're going to go and try to spread to create as much fresh water source as they can. So, the spines and they have, so they're going to sit there, they're going to shimmer. They're definitely going to be attracted. So they're going to have that star look with the celestial thing. Again, the spines would be made of salts and metals. So, again, kind of almost as riggy like in that case. But yeah, as they desalinate.
1: I would almost. Okay, and they also depollute as well if they're, they're yeah. like pulling any sort of carcinogen or whatever yeah. out. And then their spines transfer that to the predators. Okay.
0: Yeah. I would almost want to flip that okay. um, because our environment is freshwater coastal. Okay. So. What if they are a sodium based life form and their whole thing is to salinate fresh water because the alien race needs salt water?
2: What if the race is a race of cephalopods so like squid or octopi
0: or something? So we're just bringing in mind flayers. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. I mean, that works. Yeah, it
1: does. So so as you're saying, this is like the heraldic. They get dropped off here first. They're seeding our planet and they'll come back in a thousand years when basically all the fresh water is gone and it's all salinated and water, Then they come back and then they thrive. Yeah. Yeah. They're playing the long game. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the opposite of the sand trout from Dune.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Now we get to make it weird. Of course. Okay. Now. Okay, good.
1: We, we hadn't gotten there yet. So I know where the weirdness starts now. Yeah, gotcha.
0: Now. Yeah. Yes. All right. So can I get a D 100 roll, please? 91. Ooh, 91. Good roll. Well, good if you're not playing Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, exactly. That's a bad roll for that. But if we were playing Marvel face rep, probably a red result. <laughs> All right. 91. This is an interesting one. Is the last of its kind. Ooh. I like this. Maybe this is their last chance
2: at terraforming. Well, yeah, that's so, this
1: is why they're terraforming. Terraforming, they're yeah, because they've lost their world, or maybe our world is so polluted they got here and they weren't capable of terraforming yeah. so so easily, and so they're dying off, and we have the last swarm. Okay, okay. They're resilient yeah. to our pollution. Maybe they even thrive in the pollution. There's again like a, going
2: back to B movies, but going through the old War of the Worlds. Yeah, you know, okay. they, hey, we had some bacteria
0: they couldn't quite adjust to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alright, so James, do you want to do this one, or do you want me to do this one? I got some rubber ducky dice. Let's go ahead and do it. Alright, so give me one more d100
2: roll. All righty here. Got that one won't slot one. I to get the die out. There we go. Yeah, rubber ducky die. And I dropped it, of course. You dropped it. Ooh. A
0: three.
1: Three. Three?
0: Three. Oh, going to the opposite <laughs> end of the chart here. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's a great call, Cthulhu roll. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, this one's going to take some figuring. All right. Mimics the face of its last victim. I can see this because they're
2: trying to mimic the world they came from because they're terraformers. And so maybe the host species found these terraforming something else. And instead of that being native to that species, they kind of scooped them up and said, hey, let's try them here.
0: Potentially. Okay.
1: So, I mean, we basically, we said they're carnivores, so they're probably not destroying other... They're herbivores. Herbivores. I think how oh, that would work. I mean, they could just like in their swarm, almost like a school of fish, like mimic that they look like something else. Yeah, they
2: could have like a hive intelligence. Yeah, no, I like things with hive intelligence. So as maybe as well.
1: from a distance, they just look like kelp or some okay. other plant life, you know, swaying around.
2: They could mimic to look like they're predators, whatever's trying to eat them. So mm-hmm. the predators don't come up and see them as food. So like once something kind of comes and hits the swarm, they form a shape of whatever it was that was trying to eat or attack the thing. So they look like whatever that was. And if so they're intelligent, they like
1: maybe, maybe they just look like whatever the thing next to them would be afraid of. Like if yeah. they have an intelligence or maybe once they're bitten, it's almost like a genetic transfer of information. Like the first okay. thing that bites it, the swarm then goes, OK, we know what scares this. And they mimic that shape or form.
0: Yes. yes I like that too, yes. That screams B-Budget. That, <laughs> that does.
1: That, that's, that screams Sci-Fi
0: Saturday. That's what it does. So now we need a tornado. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of whatever this is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can, yeah. You know, because it is an introduced biological terraforming creature. Yeah. So the race that is introducing it to this planet may have just doctored the genetics a little bit yeah of course yes yes you know or a lot
1: (laughs) or or a lot yes
0: do you want zerg this is how you get zerg (laughs) and then the only way to defeat it is with gratuitous application of explosives of course
1: yes Mm -hmm. naturally naturally yeah yes all right and so it's the last one of their kind so you know we only got rid of get rid of the one but it's a swarm so as long as one survives it will eventually repopulate so you have to get them all that's how you set up the sequel Oh, exactly. yeah.
2: And they're so small, it's easy for them to hide or just like kind of stash one. Yeah, no, it's yeah. perfect.
0: Yeah, that, I like them. Yeah, the, that last scene is one of them just sort of burrowing into the mud. Yes. On the shoreline.
1: It's that, um, it's a, oh my God. I think maybe it's called prey. It's where they're like insects, but they look like people. Mimic? Is it mimic? Yeah, they're like insectoids, but when they stand a certain way, they kind of look like a person. Yeah, I think that was mimic. Yeah, I think you're right. So maybe that's the last thing is it's evolved to mimic us because we are the dominant predator species. That's like the last thing is it's a person, but then it's just like okay, yeah.
2: Ooh, Invasion of the Pod People, another great B movie. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Pod Pod people are body snatchers. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was.
0: Were Pod people in Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's right. They're pod the, yeah. people. Yeah. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. I need to watch it again. I think we've got a copy of it, the MST3K version of it. Nice. Okay. So if we can ever find a VHS VCR <laughs> that'll it. actually run it and not eat it. Okay. So let's run over real quick again what we got. It swims, it eats fruits and vegetables. It is tiny, it persists in gangs of 11 to 25 individuals. Native environment is freshwater coastal. It has horns for defense, it is a celestial creature type, they are parasitic slash invasive, it is the last of its kind, and it mimics the face of its last victim. Now, the most difficult question of all, what do we call it?
2: Mm. I kind of like sea stars, uh, since we said these things can kind of burrow and go. Dragon's teeth is not a terrible name for them either, I don't think. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to think of like a terrible like invectoids, like some okay. stupid yeah. sci-fi, yeah, yes. They're like inf- invasive insectoids. And
0: well, if we wanted to take a World War Z approach, where we make a movie about a thing where the only thing the same <laughs> about the two is the name. Yes, the old arcade game Sinistar. Oh, okay. Great name, actually. Yes, yes I All them. Sinistars. Yeah. Perfect.
1: I, I like it. Yep. I think that's the winner right there. Okay. Run. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it that was. was cool. Thank yeah. you for letting me play. So I want to ask, since my game has a lot of charts, if you would indulge, would you be willing to run through a couple of these charts really quickly and to see if we can come up with just the like 10 minute quick outline of what our movie would be? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure.
1: All right. All you need are some D12s. All right. And if we want we we'll just bounce back and forth. So Ian, you roll the first one and then uh, James, you roll the second one. And I'll, we won't end on too much, but just kind of give you quickly how that would work for the setup. Yeah, so that Ian, would w- be
0: great. So do we just need one?
1: Yes. You might have to re-roll on occasion. but okay. yeah. yeah.
0: So uh, we got nine.
1: Nine is action superhero. So we're okay. dealing with Good a deal. superhero movie. All right. all right. All right. And then roll. I need two from you, James. I need two. I've got a one, a one and a twelve. Our bad guy is robots. So we're looking at an Ultron situation. Okay, okay. Nice. All right. And then we're going to figure out what the plot is. So Ian, I need two D12s. All right. So are going, going
2: Ultron or are we going maybe uh, Austin Powers? Defend oh, bots. We'll <laughs> <Don't> find out.
1: <laughs> Three and five. Three and five. So the plan is to open dimensional portals. Okay. That is our plot. Definitely it's still like Age Problem of Ultron. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, and then normally we would roll for six obstacles. We're not going to do that. We'll just do what our inciting incident is. So I need okay. one or two more D twelve rolls, please. Okay. I've got a five. I got two fives. Five and a five. Something or someone must be found. Okay. So that would be the start of our movie. And again, there's more rolls, but we're not going to yeah. go through all of them. But basically, that's how it works. You roll for genre. You roll for the bad guy. You roll for the plot, and then you roll for your obstacles, and then you. Normally you roll for six obstacles and you organize them like which is act one, which is act two and which is act three. So I think that makes sense. So probably I'm seeing like a
2: Skynet type thing.
1: I mean, this is so so we're superheroes, but again, we could also be like B or C level, street level superheroes. It doesn't mean yeah. we've got Superman or Hyperion. We got robots that are either from another dimension or we have robots trying to open portals to World other two. dimensions. Okay. And then we have to find, maybe it's the John Connor situation or the Sarah Connor. We got to find the leader of the resistance to help us now type of a thing.
2: It's not yeah. a movie, but you know what we have? We have Doctor Who and Daleks. Mm. Daleks or even Cybermen. Cybermen, yeah. Yeah. I like it excellent okay yeah now i need a tardis and that little like the
0: the the sound in the
2: background (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) excellent Uh, all right so another thing that we like to do with our guests whenever they come on is to give a shout out to someone else in the community could be a podcaster content creator artist musician just someone ttrpg adjacent who would you like to give shout out to today
1: So I have a couple. That's fine. The first one is very self-serving. So please (laughs) indulge me here. But Tom is one of my co-hosts and he's basically sort of taken one of our shows and made it his own. Like it used to be something I hosted and he said, no, it's mine now. He's (laughs) taking it over and he's the only one that does it. And it's called Show and Tell. It's very similar to what we're doing now. It's a show where he interviews designers, often people who are running Kickstarters, but not always. I really feel like he's given a platform to indie designers that is into none right now. I think he asks very good questions. I think he highlights what makes these creators special and what makes their creation special. And I really think Show & Tell, like it surprises me that Show & Tell isn't our most popular show and it's not and it should be. It's phenomenal. So anyone who's listening to this now Go listen to the show-and-tell episode, and I think you will be happy to hear the types of ways that Tom is highlighting those creators. Outside of my own stuff, because technically it's still part of my show, even (laughs) though I don't do anything with it, I've been doing a lot of these. I've had the opportunity to interview and talk to a lot of different designers, and there's a couple that I had not heard of previously. One is called Snyder's Return, and the other is called Thinking Critically. Had an absolute blast on both of their shows. Again, I thought they did very good interviews. I thought they gave me an opportunity to really highlight what I was trying to do. Both of them are really small shows. If you go and you know, look at their ratings on IMDb, they don't have a ton of reviews or ton of followers. And I think both of them should have more than they currently have. So I would either or go check out Snyder's Return podcast. Sounds like a Zack Snyder thing it has nothing to do with DC Heroes, <laughs> as far as I can tell. And then Thinking Critically.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I am familiar with both of them. I've only listened to a couple of episodes of each back. I believe it was in November. We had Greg Tito and Shelley Maznoble on whenever they're promoting their book. Welcome to Dragon Talk. And I believe both of those shows also interviewed them because I remember going and listening to their interviews in preparation Mm. for ours. They are great shows. I will second that. (laughs) Yeah, go listen to them. And then finally, we're going to open the floor for you to plug your stuff. So the floor is open. Tell us where we can go and throw money at you.
1: Well, so right now, obviously, the Kickstarter is the biggest thing. As I said, we're right around $250 away. So we are super close to funding. Our goal is $5,012. Because if you look at it just right, it looks like 5D12. (laughs) But we're really close. So we're only shipping to the US. I know that limits us. But I was just really concerned about, again, having a successful Kickstarter that bankrupts me. So digital, they're only $12, get you a PDF. And then it's 25 plus six for shipping. So $31 basically will get you a copy of the book and PDF. Again, every Everyone's going to get a copy of the PDF within a couple weeks of closing, which is March 22nd. And then as I go, I will probably send out drafts up until the final one. So you're going to get plenty of copies of the book that you can play right away. Beyond that, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. I know Twitter is a hellscape at this point, (laughs) but there are people in my life that I care a lot about that I only know because of Twitter. So I actually have a lot of love for that platform and it's given me a lot. So I'm trying to hold on to it until they Basically, take it from my cold dead hands. Uh, (laughs) So, you can find me over there at the RPG Academy at our shows. We have, again, we have over a thousand episodes. So, if you like anything I said tonight, there's probably a show where I've talked about it more in depth. We have shows that help you play better as a DM. We have shows that just, you know, help you as a player as well. But like interview shows, highlighting crowdfunding campaigns, actual plays, some that are very serious and like, here's the rules and others that's like, we don't really care about the rules. We're just having fun. So we just have enough shows. If you find something that you like, we probably have a bunch of episodes of it. And then if you're in Dayton, Ohio in November, come to a catacon. We do a Kickstarter for that every year. That'll go live in August. So that's another way that you can get your ticket early or just support what we try to do again small RPG focus convention in kind of the Midwest, you know, Ohio area. So even if you just want to throw a couple bucks as a donation, I will happily accept it. But awesome. thank you both for having me on. I had an absolute pleasure hanging out with you tonight.
2: Yeah, no, thank you for coming out. This was a lot of fun. And I'm really looking forward to um, when you're actually able to send stuff out and release it. Cause this is going to be, a ton of fun to play with people. Yeah.
1: If you want to in it, I would love to hear feedback, obviously, as we go. Okay. And then in, I don't know if, you, I don't know if you do actual plays on your stream, but if you're ever interested, on we occasion. can probably figure something out.
0: On okay. occasion, yeah. And thank you very much for coming on. I had the privilege of being on one of your shows back at the end of the year 2022 and i'm going to put links to your kickstarter and your website and all of that stuff Fantastic. in the show notes so if anyone wants to go and find you they can do that very cool thank you and thank you everyone for joining us tonight if you have any comments suggestions or ideas please send us an email under taste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our twitter account at uct homebrew you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch at Undercommon Taste. We're also on Mastodon, Undercommon Taste at Dice.Camp. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash UndercommonTaste. That's where our write-ups go when I can find the time to do them. I have fallen way behind on Patreon stuff, and I need to get back into that. We are considering starting up a patron-only once-a-month episode where we talk about some more long form nebulous content so if you're interested in that or if you just want to help support the show financially please consider coming over and becoming a patron we also have an itch store under common right now we have beneath the lake which is our liminal horror adventure and forever home which is my solo rpg both are available for three dollars and if you are a patron at any level you also get a free copy of each of those yes and finally one last thing talking about Itch that I wanted to bring up, something that I'm going to start doing to get myself in the habit of generating more short form content. Right now on Itch, there is a bundle going on, the Solo But Not Alone 3 bundle. It is a fundraising bundle for Jasper's Game Day, which is a gaming suicide prevention charity. That's the word I'm looking for. Suicide prevention charity. It is a huge bundle. There's 149 games in it and it's 10 bucks and they are pretty close to their $32,000 goal so i would encourage you to go and check that out buy that i'm going to start playing through the games in the bundle and doing like mini reviews Of all the games, I'm going to start at the beginning of the list and work my way through and see how long it takes (laughs) me to get through 149 games. So yes, I would strongly encourage you to go and check that out and support a really great charity.
2: Yeah, Jasper's Game Day is a great charity. And again, as we have mentioned before, we've all hit some hard times. We've all hit some hard roads. Again, there's the Suicide Help Hotline. If you don't feel there's anyone you can reach out to or if you don't want to, you know, Air out your business. But if you can't reach out to them, please reach out to friends, reach out to family. You are not a burden. People would very much like to reach out and help you through your times rather than miss out on years of adventures with you.
1: Something happened. I got disconnected for a second. So my apologies for jumping off. But in my work, I actually teach a course called uh, Youth Mental Health First Aid. And in addition to other things, it talks about suicide prevention for youth. So I'm very passionate about that as a cause.
0: Excellent. So Thank you, Michael, again, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you again in two weeks. Happy gaming. Bye-bye! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Under Common Taste. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Kroll and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash Croll. Our logo is by David Sutherland. You can find more of David's work on deviantart.com slash David or on Instagram.com slash underscore 73. We'll be back in two weeks. So stay safe and we'll see you then.